Welcome to Capital Conversations, a podcast of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. I'm Matthew Hawkins. This episode is brought to you by the ERLC's next Capital Conversations live event on Thursday, June 29 in Washington, D.C. We're joining our friends at the Alliance Defending Freedom to convene a special conversation following the Supreme Court's decision in the Trinity Lutheran case. We'll discuss the implications with Russell Moore and David Cortman of ADF, who is litigating the case. Also joining us will be Kevin Smith, Executive Director of the Baptist Convention of Maryland and Delaware, and Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler of Missouri, whose district is home to the Trinity Lutheran School. For more information and to register for this event, visit ERLC.com slash events. That's Thursday, June 29 in Washington, D.C. Messengers from Southern Baptist churches across the country convene once a year to conduct business of the convention. This year it was in Phoenix, Arizona. Each SBC entity delivers a report and presentation to the convention. Reports include two mission boards, six seminaries, and a number of other entities. This week's episode is a little different from the norm. We'll provide a bit of insight into how the ERLC functions as an entity within the Southern Baptist Convention by sharing portions of Russell Moore's annual report. First up is Russell Moore's interview with Pastor Nathan Carter. Nathan is pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Chicago, Illinois. Emmanuel Baptist is presently engaged in a lawsuit with the city of Chicago due to unlawful zoning restrictions. As you'll hear, a decision to begin a lawsuit is not taken lightly by a church. Dr. Moore and Pastor Carter discuss why the church decided to make this decision and the unique way they're going about it. Later in the episode, we share Russell Moore's report to the convention. In it, you'll hear an overview of what the ERLC has been up to in the past year. From Massachusetts to Malaysia, Baptists have stood up against the persecution of Christians and others on the basis of the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. A few moments ago, our President Steve Gaines, as we were watching this video, said we just don't even know some of the blessings that we have, and that's exactly right. Jesus tells us to remember our persecuted brothers and sisters uh, all around the world in their sufferings, and your ERLC is working not only to minister to them, but also to awaken us about the challenges that are happening around the world. I wish I could say that we didn't have any uh, challenges happening in our own country, in the United States of America, but we do. And I want to introduce you to someone who is working through one of those issues right now. I want to introduce to you Nathan Carter, who is the pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Chicago. Pastor Carter is a church planting uh, pastor whose church meets at the University of Illinois in Chicago, and the church met there since 2001 on campus and was in the process of buying uh, the building. But they were told by the government that they couldn't be there because they're a church, because of the parking situation. And the church had to think through the difficult decision to file suit and to engage uh, the city around them. They wanted to serve unity uh, in their community, but they also wanted to make sure that the church was free to advance the gospel. And so we need to be praying right now as a judge is thinking at this very moment about what to do with this case and with this church. That case is not just about this one congregation. That case is about our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and our mission field. And so we invited Pastor Carter to be with us today 
Would you welcome Pastor Nathan Carter of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Chicago? Thanks. Nathan, what made you decide, with all of the priorities that you have uh, as a pastor and uh, church planner, what made you decide to actually engage the government on this issue? Yeah, f- filing a lawsuit isn't exactly fulfilling the Great Commission, right? Yeah. So uh, we're always saying that we're about enjoying and proclaiming the good news of Christ in the great city of Chicago. And it is a great city. It's huge, if you've ever been there. Uh, but it's also just a neat place and uh, an exciting place to live and do ministry. I'm raising my five daughters there, me and my wife. But also that, that phrase, great city, reminds us of Nineveh. And like Nineveh, uh, Chicago is in great need of the gospel. And that's ultimately why we're there. We've been a perpetual church plant for like 20-some years. But finally, in the last few years, we got to the place where it was possible and seemed strategic to try to buy the dilapidated old building that we've been renting for the last six years and fix it up. And um, we have a specific calling to a particular neighborhood that's dynamic and diverse and right next to downtown, and we want to be rooted there long term. So this time last year, we were all set to close on the building. At the last minute, we heard something different from a city official than what we'd heard before about our parking which set us to scrambling to figure out what happened, how this worked out. We tried to then uh, rent park, extra parking space, which they said wouldn't um, meet the requirements. We tried to find land to buy to build a parking lot, and there was none available. So long story short, we exhausted all of our options, except for this last one, which uh, we, we never thought it would get to, which is to challenge the city of Chicago's zoning ordinance, which treats religious assemblies um, with regard to parking on less than equal terms than non-religious assemblies, which we found out is, violates federal law. So this is not why I got into pastoral ministry mm-hmm. at all. I'd rather be on this stage preaching the Bible than talking about a lawsuit. Mm-hmm. Um, Me too. But here I am. And uh, I think everybody in pastoral ministry realizes at some point you have to do things that you don't necessarily want to do to be able to do the things that, that, you, that you really want to do and that need to be done. How do you prepare a church? Uh, to go through this, this long process of, uh, of engaging with the government and now a lawsuit. Yeah. Because there are, many, uh, there are many pastors and leaders in this room who will be making a similar decision, and they're going to have to talk to their congregations about why and how and, and how to proceed. Yeah. Well, I don't claim that I've done it perfectly. It's a learning process. It's been a huge learning process and made many mistakes. It's been had challenges. But one thing that we did do is at the beginning we, we, we tried to not downplay the fact that this was risky and that this may take a really long time and we might lose. But teaching people that faith when you're trying to do things for the glory of Christ is going to involve taking risks, you know, not being utterly foolish, but doing things that are risky. That's what faith is. We've also tried to, I've learned this lesson. I haven't learned this lesson. I'm still learning this lesson to always over communicate, keep the church up to date on what's going on and what's happening so we've, we've uh, again, probably not done that the best, but we've tried to do that through having meetings, sending out all kinds of emails, praying about it during the service on Sunday mornings, keeping the prayer team engaged, videos, uh, social media, private conversations, and in all those, keeping the why front and center. So why are we doing this again? Mm-hmm. Not just to win an argument, but to get closer to our vision of establishing a stable, long-term gospel presence in that place that needs it so badly. And I, and I also just say it's, it's been a huge encouragement to me and to our church to, have, to know that we have the ERLC in our corner. I appreciate it. 
What, what would you say to the people in this room who are saying, I don't want to be a culture, war in my, a culture warrior in my community. I want to be a, an evangelist uh, in my community. How would you advise them if they do have problems like this to both stand up for their, their rights uh, to, to liberty, uh, but also to be able to reach the people who disagree with them with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Yeah. Well, I would say, first of all, in, if you're going to embark on a process like this, you need to have, make sure you have competent and kingdom-minded attorneys. And we've been blessed um, to be represented by attorneys Malk and Baker, and this is their specialty. They, 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 just, that this is, uh, they do RELUPA um, really well, and they've been wonderful to us. Uh, they always said throughout the whole process, they kept quoting uh, Romans uh, 12, 18, I believe, which said, if possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And so we've tried to, to live that way, to bend over backwards, to accommodate the city at every stage. And even when it came time to, as we said, appeal to Caesar, uh, we filed this in a lawsuit as a friendly lawsuit, which I think in the world of litigation is pretty unheard of. <laughs> mm. um, so we've tried to make it clear throughout the whole process that we're not trying to embarrass the city. That's not our intentions. We're not trying to stick it to the city. We're here to serve the city. And we don't want to be known as that angry church that's uh, just trying to look out for itself. But we want to frame it, the narrative in such a way that, that we're that church that loves this neighborhood so much that we want to be a permanent part of it. Hmm. The last line of uh, legal defense to churches like Nathan's has is the Religious Land Use and Institutionalized Persons Act called uh, ARLUPA, whether or not uh, a church is going to have the ability to appeal and say, you can't treat us differently in our community just because we're a church. You're going to need some prayer, and you're going to need some support. And so I'd like to ask uh, all of you in this room if you would join me in praying for Emmanuel Baptist Church, praying for Pastor Nathan, and also uh, praying for other churches that are going through these sorts of struggles in their local communities right now. Would you join me in prayer, brothers and sisters? Lord, we ask for your blessing upon Emmanuel Baptist Church. Pray for your blessing upon Pastor Nathan. Pray that you would give them wisdom. You would give them discernment. Pray, Father, that you would enable them to be able to be free to preach the gospel, and to minister to the people in their community. And Lord, we pray more than that. We pray also that through this process, the, the people that they meet and the, the arguments that they have, that those arguments would point to the character, the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, would you enable even this trial to be an opportunity for gospel love, gospel mercy, as well as gospel conviction. And we pray, Lord, for all of those in this room who are grappling with the same kinds of pressures, some who may be grappling with them later this year or in the next decade who aren't even aware that that's coming down. We pray for the power of the Spirit to bear these brothers and sisters up. And we pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you help me to thank Pastor Nathan Carter for being with us today? Thank you. More information about the Emanuel Baptist case is available in the show notes at ERLC.com. Next up is Russell Moore's report to the Southern Baptist Convention. This kind of report is provided annually by each Southern Baptist entity to messengers from churches across the country. Now with the ERLC's annual report, here's Russell Moore. 
Brothers and sisters, my name is Russell Moore, and I'm honored to serve as the president of your Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission and to bring a report to you this afternoon. A couple of years ago, Pope Francis invited a group of us to speak at the Vatican and what various people believed. Uh, He wanted uh, us to talk about what evangelical Protestant Christians believe about marriage, family, sexuality at a symposium with leaders from virtually every religion from around the world, uh, talking and and speaking and debating and making our case. And as I was going in there, I waited in line with friends and colleagues from multiple denominations to get in to the Vatican, to uh, the epicenter there of the Church of Rome. And going through security, I was fishing in my coat pocket for my passport. The problem was I'd worn the same suit the week before while at Southwestern Seminary uh, talking about the Protestant Reformation. And so without thinking, I pulled out what I thought to be my passport, only to find that I was handing the Swiss guard at the Vatican a pocket-sized copy of Martin Luther's 95 Theses. As I made a a fumbling attempt to try to put the little booklet away and find the right documentation, I realized that I really didn't start an international incident there. Guards didn't seem to even recognize the 95 Theses. Maybe if I'd nailed them to the door, but they didn't recognize them. I thought about this uh, earlier this week because this, of course, is the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, of the moment when an Augustinian monk stood up for the clarity of the gospel and stood, in many cases, alone there in front of the emperor, in front of the culture, in front of a culture that uh, was turning against what it was that gospel Christianity believed. But he had the fear of God, and he taught us to stand, bound by conscience to the word of God, and that we can do no other. That is exactly what your Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission exists to do. That's why we stand. That's why we dissent from a watching world and culture that would tell us that children are only valuable if they're planned and only valuable if they're perceived as useful. And over the last year, if there is one thing that has become even more clear, it is that Planned Parenthood is no friend to women, no friend to children, and no friend to life and human dignity. As each new video is released showing horrifying callousness on the part of Planned Parenthood uh, employees using unborn children for profit, while that's going on, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ must not stand silent. We're faced with a predatory industry, and we live in an age in which our own government subsidizes the piracy and grave robbing of defenseless infants who have no voice at all. That's why your ERLC has been active in bringing a different word into the public square. Over the last year, ERLC launched a national campaign designed to build support and send a signal to every lawmaker in Washington that Planned Parenthood should not receive a single cent of taxpayer money now or ever. That's why we collected thousands upon thousands of signatures and delivered them to elected officials and investigative committees. It's why we mobilized to apply pressure to the U.S. Senate 
to consider the rights of the unborn and the vulnerable when confirming judicial nominees. It's why we led Southern Baptists and other evangelical Christians to march in Washington, standing up for the unborn and their mothers. And it's why we established the Evangelicals for Life Conference, to galvanize a new generation into action. We stood with a word that says we will speak for those whose voices have been silenced by a knife. And we bring a word that says to our culture, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. As we've done so, we recognize the truth of the Reformation that legal justice without gospel transformation doesn't get us anywhere. And that's why we've worked to train churches to minister spiritually, physically, financially, emotionally to those in crisis, those grappling with an unplanned pregnancy, and to, to deliver to them the liberating word of the gospel, offering the atoning blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ to all, including those whose consciences are weighted down by abortion. Over the past year, we've seen that one of the primary areas of needed reformation in our day is as parents grapple over the dinner table with questions that to previous generations of Christians might have seemed like science fiction. Parents now wonder how to talk with children grappling with whether they are boys or girls. They're talking to children about uh, those who would see them as bigots simply because they believe in marriage and family the way that Jesus defines these things. Now, to, to parents who are talking to children who sometimes seem powerless before the technological pull of screens, of social media, and of a weaponized pornography industry. Parents and children's ministers and youth pastors must now confront complex questions that increasingly have to do with what it means to be human, what it means to be creatures, and whether or not we are alone in the moral universe. Those issues are getting more and more complex. That's why your ERLC devoted much of the last year to producing content designed to address every issue and every person in our churches. We do this daily across the spectrum of of media platforms as well as in training events, large and small, around the nation. Not only that, we've partnered with LifeWay to develop a first-of-its-kind parenting curriculum designed for churches and small groups and Sunday school on these pressing moral and ethical questions. This curriculum brings together some of the most gifted and godly thinkers from around the country and around the world to address issues in ways that serve parents and children of all ages. And that's why we've invested heavily in our seminaries, expanding our ERLC Academy. Over the last year, we doubled the size of our academy, welcoming hundreds of seminary students and masters and doctoral programs from across our Southern Baptist seminaries to a week-long time of intensive training on Christian ethics to equip our church's future pastors and leaders and missionaries to consider how they might engage lost people and prepare churches for ministry in this mission field and in this new era. That's because We recognize that a new generation will face new questions with old consequences. We must get them ready to stand with gospel clarity and with gospel courage. And that means that we have to have the clarity and the courage 
to apply the gospel to the Antichrist doctrines of blood and soil, racism, and white supremacy? What would it say to the world around us if they saw our churches made up of every tribe and tongue and nation and language serving one another, loving one another? Well, what they would see is a sign of contradiction to the outside watching world. When the rest of the world wants to retreat back into ethnic silos, we instead should make it clear that those of us in Christ are part of one family, that we are one body, and that an attack on one part of the body is an attack on the whole, including the head, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is one of the reasons why your ERLC is focused intensely on racial reconciliation and justice over the past several years. As one aspect of that focus, next year on the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., we will host an event in Memphis in partnership with the Gospel Coalition with pastors in the community, such as our own president, Dr. Steve Gaines, and many others. And as we're there, we will remember And Martin Luther King, like his namesake, was willing to bear the cost of his convictions. He was willing to speak to the conscience of the culture around him and to the conscience of the church. And 50 years later, after Dr. King's assassination, it is to our shame that the church so often lags behind the culture around us when it comes to issues of racial justice, unity, and reconciliation. That must not be the case, brothers and sisters. We should lead with gospel clarity, and we should do so not with a sense of hopelessness, as the lost world sometimes does, but with the understanding that Jesus can change people and the gospel can change things. After all, the gospel reconciles together the children of slaveholders with the children of slaves. And that's the same gospel that reconciled the children of Amalek with the children of Abraham, and it reclaims human dignity because we know the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward Jesus. And so your Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission is committed to you to be the Paul Revere going ahead and speaking to our churches speaking to the public uh, square, speaking to elected officials, speaking in the courts, but we won't stop there. Your Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission also wants to speak very clearly to the outside world with a different word, a sign of a message that says, whosoever will, let him take of the water of life. Because what unites us as a denomination is the truth that all of us are the evangelism department of the Southern Baptist Convention. We can speak in the public square on all sorts of issues, but until we can point people to the ultimate good, the atonement and resurrection found in Jesus Christ alone, we do not have a distinctive word to say. And we are the people who will remember that our battle's not against flesh and blood, and so our confidence comes from the words of that old Martin Luther hymn, the prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. We will work to arm the next generation to apply the Bible to the world around us. 
We'll equip them to stand anywhere in any culture and give a defense of the gospel without fear. We'll go anywhere to carry out this work, and we'll have at least 95 theses in our pockets when we do. This has been Capital Conversations, a podcast of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. Special thanks to SBC Tapes for providing the audio recording. SBC Tapes provides access to video and audio from the annual meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention and the two-day pastors' conference that precedes it. They have volumes of content to process from last week before it's ready to download, but you can find more information about the availability at sbctapes.com. Of course, thanks as always to Gary Lancaster for his editing skills and to Marie Duff for getting show notes posted at erlc.com. There you'll find all the Capital Conversations episodes along with additional podcasts and other resources to equip you and your church.